electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, you'll hear an insightful conversation about investing in sports teams and leagues from the people with money in the game, including New Jersey Devils, Philadelphia 76ers, and Washington Commanders co-owner David Blitzer, WNBA player Lexi Brown, Premier Lacrosse League President Paul Raybill, and Brooklyn Nets co-owner Clara Wu Sai. They spoke with my colleague Scott Wapner at the Game Plan Sports Business Summit, hosted by CNBC and Boardroom on July 25th, 2023, in Santa Monica, California. Here's their conversation. Gentlemen, right to my left here is the NFL's newest owner, just closing last week, $6 billion for the Commanders. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, Blitz. David Blitzer is now the first person to own a franchise in each of the four major sports, the Sixers, the Devils, the Guardians, and the Commanders. He also has a piece of Crystal Palace of the Premier League and Real Salt Lake of Major League Soccer. If any of you have anything for sale today, (laughs) David would like to talk to you. I'll put you together afterwards. So why, why have sports become such a significant part of your investment strategy? Can we start with the five major sports leagues <laughs> rather than the four major sports leagues? We're getting um, there. Sorry, where were we about going? Sports yeah. as your investment strategy. Obviously a key part of it. Why? Uh, we could do this for hours and hours and hours, but let me just try to put it into two pieces. Number one is these are the greatest media and content companies in the world, amongst the greatest media and content companies in the world. And we all know that live sports is the best content around. Um, You can't save it, you can't watch it later. And so the value of content is gonna continue to grow, uh, in my opinion, you know, above inflation. You've got huge international opportunities. You've got the convergence of what's happening with technology and the actual sport. Um, So the growth is there. So all of these leagues are gonna continue to grow and frankly, new leagues, I know we're gonna talk to, you know, Paul and Lexi. I mean, it's incredible what's also getting created Um, And that would kind of be point one. And then point two is just scarcity value. Um, They don't make more of these. I'm like a pretty simple supply and demand person. And anytime you have a situation where you're not making any more and the demand is clearly going up. It's not just going up from the standpoint of, you know, high net worth individuals or X or Y. You're seeing institutional capital coming into the, you know, sort of sports space and it's coming fast. And again, so think about the demand side of that equation and then think about the fact that there's no new supply. Um, there's only one thing that's going to happen. Value is going to continue to increase. Disney CEO Bob Iger was on CNBC a week or so ago and said almost the, the same uh, in his own words, quote, sports stand very, very tall in terms of its ability to convene millions and millions of people all at once. There's almost a guarantee that occurs. Now, I guess, David, it's, in some respects you have to win, but you and your group just essentially paid a premium price for what is considered to be a distressed asset in a sense a troubled franchise, what are your expectations and how quickly do you think you can turn things around? (laughs) 
Well, look, I mean, um, I've talked to a lot of uh, Washington fans. I always have to be very careful with the name. I've talked to a lot of Washington fans recently, including um, my, friend, my friend to the right. <laughs> um, and look, the reality is, is I, I have two charts that I've used um, when I in, first invested in the NBA and then was looking at in, investing in the NFL in this particular situation. And my chart for the NBA was a chart that showed the Sixers and the Celtics over 35 years. And there were times where the Sixers were here and the Celtics were here, and there were times where the Celtics were here and the Sixers were here, and it just sort of rolled over a 35-year period. And when we ultimately invested, the Celtics were here and the Sixers were here. But they're similarly passionate markets, incredible brands, and so our view was we were, we were investing in that at a very, very good time on a relative basis. Similarly, um, Washington is one of the all-time great franchises. I don't get into top two, top three, but clearly one of the top all-time franchises in the NFL. And clearly, at the moment, um, Washington has been, again, if you graphed the Cowboys versus the Redskins, you'd see this period of time over the years. You'd see the Joe Gibbs era. You'd see eras before that and after that. But right now, you have Dallas here. And that doesn't mean that Dallas is going to drop. It's just my point is Washington's here. And we all know what it can be and what it should be and hopefully um, what it will be. It's just a matter of how long that will uh, Will take. Are you being careful with the name because you're going to change it? <laughs> I, I, it's not a question for me. Talk to my partner. <laughs> you know, Clara, you, um, you also have a, a very diverse portfolio as well. The Brooklyn Nets, the Liberty, your investors in, in Paul's uh, PLL. How, how would you describe this moment to either own a professional sports franchise, either a you know, what we, what we would consider in the marquee leagues, the second tier, wh whatever tier it is, um, the opportunity that exists today? Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, like David, you know, we believe that sports is a great investment. Um, the big four is in a category of its own for some of the reasons David just mentioned, the scarcity value. Um, we know that the NBA is a prime asset and it's got very steady franchise value upside. Um, but looking at, you know, this panel, I, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the emerging leagues that we've also invested in. Um, the thing with emerging leagues, what's attractive about them, what's exciting is that there's the potential for exponential growth. Um, but that said, it's like venture capital investment, so you know, that's um, also just not without risk. So when we're looking at an emerging league, we, we, we first ask ourselves, are the world's best players of this sport in that league? And then we ask, um, is it possible to attract a very loyal and passionate fan base? And then we say, can this business be commercially successful? Um, and if that's the case, you know, then, we, you know, then we look at it. Uh, in the case of the WNBA um, and the New York Liberty, um, we saw an advantage that we did not have with the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets, there's two. Uh, NBA teams in New York City, but there's only one professional women's basketball team in New York City. So we saw that immediately we saw this great business opportunity because we could showcase the world's best female basketball players in the largest media market in the world. So we, we saw that as a really great business opportunity. And I also want to make the point that um, even though the WNBA is 25 years old, actually I think we're going into the 27th year, it, I still consider it a startup compared to the NBA. Um, if you look at you know, almost all of the economics from revenues to player salaries, the WNBA is about one one hundredth mm. that of the NBA. So um, you know, if the WNBA just grows 
to 10% of what the NBA is, that's a 10x return on your investment. So um, we think it's just a very sound um, business decision. For a league like lacrosse and the, and the PLL, um, you know, that started um, out of just a family love of lacrosse. Um, but we also see the growth potential in that I think uh, youth lacrosse is still the fastest growing um, sport for youth participation in the US. It's been that way for several years now. So we know that there's growth there. Um, but in that case, it's also investment in great entrepreneurs. And we've known Paul for a while. And Paul and his brother, well, Paul's a great athlete, but he's also a very good businessman. I think he's made a lot of uh, innovations to the product. Um, marketing. Um, I, you know, we, we just see a lot of upside um, in. Uh, Scott, don't come to me. I'll just take that. <laughs> well, it Hang sounded on. at the outset as, as though Clara was describing you and your league when she said, got to have the world's best players. You do, right? And you have to be commercially successful, which you've been. And you still are trying to take it to the next level. I mean, I just watched your skills competition with my son the other night on ESPN as part of your all-star festivities. Well, we also have to have great people and great investors, uh, great partners. We have, uh, Jimmy was just up here speaking, ESPN is our major media rights partner. Um, you know, when I zoom out and think about the enterprise value of sports that everyone in this room discussed is, is it's a live IP business. And that is really exciting and different than what we get with any other entertainment property where at some point someone knows what's gonna happen and in sports we don't. And it, the storyline continues from the beginning of the regular season through playoffs all the way to the end. Underneath it is a media business, a corporate partnership business, a ticketing business, a merchandise business, a youth business. And what we've seen the NFL lead, MLS is doing now, it's been in the NBA for a while, is also real estate businesses. So then, you know, come in Live Nation and figuring out how to book off-season nights to generate more revenue. So they're, they're, they're flush with different businesses and industries to capitalize and grow. The other thing that we talk about internally is, I call it PLL plus, but what's happened in sports as athletes have become A-list celebrities is that they cross over into culture, they cross over into fashion, into music, into culinary, into art. And all of that is really interesting to a lot of us as we delve into modern media and social and the creator economy. And never before has athletes had a direct voice to the customers. It was always just leagues and teams. So now you're at a multiple of influence, which is really exciting. Um, and so what we try to do, I would say, at a base level is you know, put together a really good operating plan with KPIs, go to our investors, they bless it, focus on talent and culture, and then execution. I know that's really vague and dumbed down, but like you have to do that sometimes when uh, there's so much to do. And then there is Lexi. And it's so perfect that you're on our panel because Athletes Unlimited has turned the ownership model on its head because there are no owners. Right. And it segues perfectly off of what Paul was talking about, about athletes being empowered in a sense in ways that arguably they never have been before. Yeah, and that's one of the biggest things that drew me to Athletes Unlimited. I mean, no offense to these amazing owners next to me, but you know, it's been you know life changing playing this freely in a league. You know, you don't have GM to to um, you know deal with after a game. You know, we don't have any coaches even. We coach ourselves in this league. So um, my role in Athletes Unlimited essentially is 
Um, me and three other amazing women, um, we are on the player executive committee. We select the players, uh, it's 44 players. Um, we select facilitators, which are kind of like coaches, but essentially we're coaching ourselves. You know, they help us with practice plans, offenses, things like that. Um, we also help with community outreach, um, activations, and like Paul was saying, there's the social media aspect of it. Um, you know, it's given us a voice that we haven't had in the past. I remember in college, um, I used to get in trouble for being on Instagram too much. Like I, I used to have to log off of all social media by midnight, every night. Um, and now you're seeing the explosion of women athletes on their social medias and them taking control of their brands completely. And I think that's something that Athletes Unlimited has taken to heart. Um, storytelling, which I heard mentioned in the panel before me, that is so important. I think that's something that we do so well at Athletes Unlimited. How are you thinking about taking it to the next level? I mean, you're, you're also chairperson of the Basketball Player Executive Committee. So you're, you're thinking about these types of issues, not only how to empower yourself to maybe become an owner of something someday, but others. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Athletes Unlimited has been an, become an avenue for us to not have to go overseas in the off season. Um, I'd like to make it known that we don't have to go overseas. A lot of us actually enjoy playing over there, exploring the world, being able to play basketball in a new country. It was an amazing experience for me, at least it was. I played three seasons overseas. Um, but as I mentioned before, this explosion of the popularity of these young ladies on socials, you know, I know a lot of them you know, have a really good chance of making the W, but you know, the W only runs from May to October. So what are you gonna do in all those months in between? And I think Athletes Unlimited will be a great place for them to be able to amplify their voices, build their brands, do it on their terms, and still being able to work on their game. So David, if you, if you have a, a more you know, crowded landscape, whether it's the, the, the big leagues or the, the smaller leagues, everything obviously comes down to attracting eyeballs to engaging your, your fan base, um, to growing it. How do you stand out in a more crowded field? Well, first off, I think there can be multiple winners, okay? And I'm a very happy and proud investor in both the PLL and in Athletes Unlimited. I think what they're doing and the disruption um, and the engagement and the empowerment, et cetera, I think is fantastic. Um, so I don't think it's like, you know, that has to win uh, at the expense of, of a different league or, or a different format, et cetera, number one. But I think, you know, folks have hit on this. I mean, the, the entire concept, I remember as a kid growing up, I imagine most people in this room were huge fans of some sports, some teams, some leagues, some sports personalities. Like, the closest we got was a poster on our wall, right? Or maybe you got to a game, um, but there wasn't interaction. And there was no follow-up from that perspective. You just love that player, team, league, et cetera. And in today's world, right, we're just living in a completely different world. And we're still, I think, in the very, very early innings of, of a lot of what Paul was talking about in terms of you know, that dynamic between um, you know, the athletes and the ecosystem and their ability to reach their fans, not just the hardcore fans. The hardcore fans will find you. What I think is amazing is the ability to reach the more casual fans across the globe not just across your city or your state or your country. And that level of storytelling and that level of engagement um, is going to continue to fuel the growth and turn more and more casual fans into you know, deeper fans. And it's just a, it's a funneling system. And in today's world, in today's technology is just, again, I think, I think we're early in that game. And it's going to continue to fuel huge, huge growth. Clara, Very how, how is Team Psy sort of looking at this? 
Yeah, well, I think <clears throat> attracting fans, engaging them, getting new eyeballs, that's, that's like the number one priority um, and what, I, what we spend most of our time doing. Um, you think you have to work harder to do it because the landscape's more crowded? Definitely. Um, so we try to be, you know, we try to approach it. Um, you know, in, okay, well, let me tell you how we've approached it. Okay, so the first thing is to build a team that can win. So um, as some of you might know, um, we attracted the top two free agents um, in the market in the last offseason, Brianna Stewart and Courtney Vandersloot. And then we attracted another um, MVP all-star, four-time all-star, John Cole Jones, in a trade. She wanted to come to our team. Um, and so, you know, what, what we want to do is put a really great product on the floor that's really compelling, plays great basketball, and every night, you know, you've got all-stars. It's great entertainment. You've got all-stars and MVPs playing. Um, and I think, um, you know, history has shown that rivalries actually can be a catalyst for league growth. It happened with the NBA in the 80s between the Celtics and the Lakers. And so I think by, by creating a team that can win, um, you know, we're really hoping that that's really going to stand out and attract fans, casual fans, who will become diehard fans. The second thing is to do more storytelling, because even though we know a lot of people like women's sports and women's basketball, um, they're not necessarily the same fans that watch um, men's sports. So you have to spend a little bit of time and effort to find your fan base. So um, up until now, I think about 5% of sports media coverage is on women's sports. So you know, while that ratchets up, I know it's happening. Um, at the same time, we need to find creative ways to tell stories about our players. So um, with that in mind, I produced um, a movie called Unfinished Business. It premiered at Tribeca Festival last year, and it, you can see it on Prime. Uh, it was on ESPN, and we had a theater showing at BAM. Um, but that movie looked at the last 25 years of the WNBA and also followed the New York Liberty in its 2020-2021 season, which was its first season playing at Barclays Center, because before that they had been playing at the Westchester County Center, which had a max capacity of 5,000, and now we're regularly bringing in eight to 10,000, right? So, um, it, that was like a pivotal year, and we, I made a movie on, um, about that. Uh, so I think um, you know, telling stories, uh, being very intentional about that is very important. And the third thing is just to have a lot more touch points uh, where people can view your games. And the league just signed a deal with Scripps, um, and all of the games are now available on ION on Friday night. It's now, we've, they've created a Friday night showcase where you can see a regular season game every Friday night. Uh, ION has 100, 100 million homes, um, and I think the last uh, time I looked, I think they actually managed to get three, over 300,000 um, viewers um, you know, on, on, their, on their last um, uh, broadcast. So I would just say that for the WNBA, you can actually watch the WNBA games um, on a variety of platforms. You can see it, of course, on ABC, ESPN, ESPN. Uh, to, uh, but you can also see it on NBA TV, on Prime, on Twitter, on Meta, on CBS Sports, ION, NBA TV. Um, you know, we're just, we're in that point where we're really discovering our fan base and you really need to um, be where the fans are. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. 
Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Are we having, Lexi, a moment right now for, for women's sports? It seems like there's lightning in a bottle. Yeah, right now. absolutely. And I think, how, how are you going to try and take advantage of that? I, mean, I think you can even go farther back to the women's tournament. I think that's really one of the springboard points of this year is all the eyes that were on the women's college tournament and how amazing uh, that level of play was. But, um, you know, I think as, as women athletes, we constantly just have to prove ourselves. You know, I think... Um, I think it was a perfect moment for Sabrina to, to perform that way. Um, you know, it took her beating every NBA and WNBA player that has ever tried the three-point causes. It took her annihilating those records for people to be like, oh, okay, she's kind of good. Like, she might be kind of good. And, you know, I think that's something that just motivates us as females um, in any avenue. You know, we just have to be that much better um, than everybody else. And I think that's one of the best things about being in this space is, knowing that you're surrounded by women who feel that way and you know that they're going to have your back and they're going to you know, put forth their best selves at any moment they can. Yeah. Paul, everybody obviously wants to stand out, um, and we're talking about ways that you have to engage better and, and spend more time doing it. You also have to have the budget to do it. Your marketing budget is not the same yeah. as David's or Clara is in some of their major sports. How do you, how do you contend? Well, you have to be scrappy. Um, I would say that, well, let me start by saying since 1991, non-core four sports, there's been 200 leagues or teams that have been started with a 1% success rate, and that's measured on their ability to sustain for more than three years. I think in sports, much like entertainment, we have to roll the red carpet out to build FOMO such that people are going to want to pay for a ticket, pay for parking, pay for concessions. If we think about how difficult that ask is, it's hard for me at least to have a holiday party where I offer all booze and food for free for my friends. I'm still nervous about whether or not they're going to show up. So when you're running an expensive sports experience, you have to have an incredible product. So you'd be, you'd be fan obsessed and then you have to be player and product obsessed. And if that's great, then what we think about is on the scrappy side, how do we extend our, our core fans? How do we build a, a bigger uh, relationship, bigger and better and more prosperous relationship with them? That's a different strategy than unlocking new fans. On, on the core fans, we focus on things like NPS score. So uh, making sure that we survey every fan that comes through and see uh, how their experience was. Our NPS is a 78. It's the highest in sports, um, and, and that's really important to us, to our fan experience team. Um, we're constantly looking at ways to uh, leverage high-performance marketing, which is localized by how good your team is, how, how well you're producing content that's bespoke to the respective mediums. It used to be a create one piece of content, push it out across all mediums. That doesn't get engaged with anymore. So being sharp around trends. On unlocking new fans, um, that's a separate team that we spend a lot of time with in partnership. That's why our ESPN partnership is so valuable. And figuring out ways that we can work with Jimmy and Burke and uh, the entire 
uh, team that goes beyond the live game, which is sort of the holy grail. So the daily programming, how they leverage their social, um, how they're talking about lacrosse, how they're presenting the game. Um, and as a result, in 2019, when we started, there was 15 million lacrosse fans in the US, and MRI Simmons just released this year that there are now 46 million. Um, so we feel like we're taking some meaningful strides. Uh, you have to have the culture conversation, you have to drive people to the product, and they have an unbelievable experience. David, it is undoubtedly getting harder to own one of the big four teams, it's representative of what you guys just paid for Washington. $6 billion when the Broncos 11 months ago sold for 4.6. Do we, is it sustainable the way valuations are going? So first of all, if, if Paul Rabel's inviting you to a party, I, I assure you they're going. That's, I don't know. I don't really think that's an issue. <laughs> but look, I get asked this question all the time and I, I still remember, it wasn't that long ago, what was it, 2014 or 15 when Steve Ballmer paid two-ish billion dollars for the Los Angeles Clippers, and people said, oh my God, the last team that traded was, I don't know, 650, something to that effect. Um, and what's going on here? And you know, you hear a similar dynamic with the Broncos and then the, uh, and then the commanders, et cetera. Look, you know, at the end of the day, I come back to, they're not making any more of them. And they, they are growing. They're not just growing at, on their existing fan base, they're creating new fans, they're creating new revenue streams. You know, the international markets, you know, from an NFL perspective, there is so much growth to go there. And by the way, the NFL is one of the best business models I've ever seen in my life, just pure business models. So those teams all generate significant free cash flow. So the numbers are getting big as it relates to just coming up with the amount of capital, and that's where I come back to, um, and the NFL is the only major league that has yet to uh, allow institutional capital. And I have no idea what will happen into the future, but if you think about the other leagues and you think about institutional capital, minority interest institutional capital being able to come in, that helps a lot uh, in the equation in terms of being able to aggregate to levels to just come up with enough capital. Um, but again, you know, you can look at this over, one of the amazing things about sports is also how non-correlated they are to other asset classes. And sports have been growing franchise values since inception. And of course, the rate of growth has increased over the last decade. There's no question about that. And we can all debate you know, that rate of growth over the next 10, 20 years, but they're going to grow. The businesses are growing, the revenue streams are growing, the fan bases are growing, the live content is the most valuable in the world. The athletes are absolutely incredible. And um, you know, value's in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> what, what about overseas capital? Does that intrigue you or scare you? Um, look, I think it's just another form of institutional capital. So, you know, institutional capital, whether it's from the US, whether it's from uh, funds, whether it's from specific sports funds, whether it's from other types of funds, whether it's from sovereign funds, um, I believe the leagues will continue to keep those on, on a minority basis. So I don't think you'll see control investment from institutional capital irrespective, but I think you'll continue to see it flow both domestically and internationally. Clara, you know, I, I saw a valuation earlier this year, the Seattle Storm valued at $151 million, only 10 times what the prior team had, had sold for. Is that gonna continue? Are we gonna see exponential growth now in, in these franchises well, as well? Yeah, I think so. Well, that, that number um, was for a piece of it to, I think, um, it, that's not, 
necessarily what a, a, a franchise would sell for in, in, in an expansion situation. But it, it's interesting that um, a WNBA team actually has not been sold um, in a healthy market situation. They've already always been distressed. So I think you know expansion. I'm. I think it's great just because we'll get more viewership, right? If you have uh, another team in another city, you're going to get more fans. You'll get more viewership. It'll make our media rights more valuable. Um, all of that is is very important, but it's also very important because it helps owners um, understand what is the true value of the business that they have. And Paul, you know, your quote unquote end game is to what? To continue to grow your revenues, put a multiple on top of that, and then sell your league? So we think about, we've gone through different sort of ideations, especially internally with our company and then externally. Um, <clears throat> the NFL is a bit of an anomaly. Let's just call it that. It's just so big. Uh, we don't want to be the biggest sports league. We want to be the best. And so we think about pound for pound, how much value we can drive at any moment on any size screen. And that, that is like how I think about everything that we do with all of our business unit leads. Um, related to you know, the idea around sports leagues valuations, right? On average, they're going eight to 12 times revenue. So if it's a $150 million valuation of the WNBA team, you could probably back your way into what they're doing from a revenue standpoint. That's why it's so important to have great owners we're a true single entity business right now, so we own all eight teams in the PLL. We have operational efficiencies. I studied Bernard Arnault and LVMH and making sure that, okay, in sports, if the league owns the whole thing, how is their product differentiation? Well, much like how he mandates that creative directors are independent and oversee each fashion house, we have to make sure we have a lax product group that's separate from PLL, and there's GMs and management, and there's the appropriate salaries that are built in place. So if we think about what our exit opportunities are, right now, because we're a single entity, we're, we're a team sports league that kind of functions like F1, um, like the UFC, like the WWE. There's a world where we maintain that and continue to grow because I want to get wages up for players and see the benefit of that downstream. But there's a, also a world where we go find investor operators and maintain our, our single entity status. That's how the MLS is structured, NWSL. The league picks up player wages, pass it through to the teams. There's the purchase price and then the investor operators keep their, the, the delta on any type of exit. Um, so for us, bringing on the right investor operators is so critical and important to get right should we move down that path, and that's liquidity for our investors. I'd uh, love to hear your guys' take on the importance of betting and gaming to the leagues, um, both as the big leagues and the big four, but you know, as a tool for growing the popularity of emerging leagues. Well. I think it's really important because it engages fans. Um, we know that fans who are betting engage more often and longer with our content. So anything that engages fans, and, and I'm talking about the NBA for sure. Um, the WNBA too, I actually saw a statistic that said actually um, the fastest growing segment of sports betting enthusiasts are actually women. So I think um, I'm very interested. But you know, this, it's, it's definitely a state-by-state -state situation, right? And in New York in particular, um, you're not allowed any physical sports books. Um, but our, you know, we're, um, we look at sports betting as um, sponsorship dollars and a way to engage fans. 
We're, we're getting ready to announce a, a, I'm breaking this. We're getting ready to announce a, a deal with FanDuel. And, uh, and uh, sorry guys. Um, anyway, we're hoping to make uh, some what news. I think about, what I think about the, the, the future of sports betting, we have more agility because we're, we're, our players actually have stock options in the league. We structured it that way. I looked at where the NFL was in the 60s and the rise of television and where those guys uh, differ from current players in the wages. So we're hopeful that our players now have the stock that when 10, 20 years from now, players are getting paid millions of dollars. So that, anyway, I say that because there's not a collectively bargained agreement, which means if I think about what is really uh, working for the betting operators, it's props and it's being able to keep you on your app so you're betting in-game. And then what would be even more imaginative and fun for me if we're seeing metrics of players on game. I've always thought it would be cool to see Adam Vinatieri walk out for a game-winning field goal and see what his heart rate is. It's probably like mine while I'm sleeping. <laughs> um, and so working with groups like Catapult or Whoop and trying to figure out what that transmission is to broadcast, like that's how I think about driving value um, in, in the betting space. Please, in the front. Hi, my name is Sarah. I live between Dubai and Riyadh. I've been based in Dubai for 14 years and effectively um, co-founded a destination marketing company where we help Middle Eastern governments um, promote themselves as tourism and FDI. Foreign direct investment. And my question to you is, you know, everyone knows that they're really spending a lot of money in terms of investment in the sports space. Um, so my question is, how open are you or interested in looking at Middle Eastern capital for not just ownership, but also sponsorships, especially for women's sports teams? Clara, you want to take that? Well, sponsors, sure. Um. <laughs> Second. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, investment, um, I think we're going to be close. Um, we'll be able to take some um, uh, some institutional capital and, and, and capital probably from sovereign wealth funds along the same types of guidelines that the NBA currently has. Um, currently, the NBA, they're non-controlling, um, um, and there are really no rights associated with institutional investors or um, investments by sovereign wealth funds. I would just add fans. I mean, the NBA came to Abu Dhabi this year, and it was incredible. So again, as I talked a little bit about international, and certainly the Middle East is a, is a huge part of that, you know, creating incremental fan base and excitement um, is something I think all of the leagues are looking at, and obviously doing in different ways, et cetera, but um, I think it's great. In 2001, there were 18 countries that were playing lacrosse, now there's over 90. In 1904, 1908, lacrosse was in the Olympics. The protocol shifted in the 50s. We've now gotten back into the Olympics through the IOC, and we're hoping to get into LA 28. IOC makes the announcement mid-October, but we're thinking about international in, in a major way and, uh, and through tourism groups to be supportive of their efforts is, is a big piece. I, I mean, also what the Qataris just did in terms of the, the DC sports teams is, is significant, and, and I wonder what we're gonna see more along those lines as well, Rich? We can hear you. You can hear me? Yeah. Uh, my question is for Lexi, but I guess any of you can answer it. It's amazing what you're doing with Athletes Unlimited, but you're also playing at the same time in the WNBA, which is a bit of a different circumstance than Paul, for instance, where there's no secondary league in lacrosse. This is the, the first and only league. Um, where do you see the potential with the WNBA? Because I think it's imperative for the two to work in sync and for the WNBA obviously to acknowledge that this is an alternative now for the women as opposed to going overseas 
and it's part of investing, I think, in these women staying here is supporting these other leagues. So as a face of both, how are you approaching that? Great question. But uh, this past season, actually, uh, we were in a deal with the WNBA. They have an app where we stream our games in the regular season. So they were actually streaming our Athletes Unlimited games uh, in February and March because the app was pretty much unused in the off season. So we were able to come to terms with them for that. But like you mentioned, secondary league, you know, that's not something that we want to be known for. You know, we want to be a complementary league to the W. And it's not just exclusive to WNBA players. WNBA players, we open it to all professional women's athletes. We've had overseas players. We've had some players that didn't play in the W for a few years, but, you know, they were still ready to go. Um, you know, I think that's the beauty of Athletes Unlimited is it's not just specifically for WNBA players. Um, it's, it's, it's open to all pros who want to, you know, fulfill their dreams of being a professional athlete in the United States. That was our panel on ownership and investing in sports today. It was recorded on July 25th, 2023 at the Game Plan Sports Business Summit, hosted by CNBC and Boardroom. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share with your friends. You can visit CNBCEvents.com to learn about upcoming events and how you can join us. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.